I have a favorite place that I like to have my quiet times, a favorite place that I like to study actually, particularly in the summer. We have a screen porch in our backyard, um, well, in our, the back of our house, and uh, I just love sitting out on the screen porch. It's just so peaceful. We got this nice bird feeder out there, so the birds come swooping in, and, and they're enjoying the bird, bird seed, and, and it's just uh, so lovely. Uh, this past week, there were three morning doves underneath the bird feeder, and they are just cooing away and enjoying the bird seed underneath the, underneath the bird feeder, and all of a sudden, like in an instant, this hawk swoops in, and those three morning doves, you know, they just scatter as fast as they can, and I've never seen a morning dove move faster, actually. Those things just bolted out of there. The hawk comes swooping through. Fortunately, I don't think he caught any of them, but the rest of my time out there on the porch, which I was studying, so it was a couple hours, actually, uh, those morning doves never came back. Now, now what what caused those morning doves to scatter? What, what was it? Uh, what makes every animal flee or, or hide? It's an instinct that is so basic, that it is so powerful, it's considered a primal instinct. I mean, all the animals have it. You, you can you know, be fishing and you've got a little container of worms and you go to pick out a worm from that little container, what happens? The worm recoils, doesn't it? Or you see a spider's web and you might want to break the web a little bit and the spider's in there. What happens as soon as you break that web? The spider goes dashing off into a corner, right? Animals will bolt. What is it about them that causes them to do this? Well, like that hawk was so much more powerful than those doves, this one motivator, this one instinctive emotion is called fear or being scared. This is a fear that can paralyze us. It's a fear that can shock us or even ruin us. It swoops in uninvited. It jerks us out of our peaceful state it scatters our hearts or scatters our lives. It can even shatter them. Fear can be good, actually. Like, for instance, it's a good fear to be a little bit nervous before you get up and speak in front of people. Actually, I still to this day have a little bit of nervousness every time I'm about ready to stand up in front and preach. And um, I think that's a good fear, good nervousness. If you're going in for an interview, you know, it's good to be, have a little bit of fear in you as you are going for this job. Fear can be good when it's a respectful fear. Like the Bible tells us, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That, that it's good to have a respectful fear for God. But it becomes bad when, when that fear causes us to never speak in front of anybody, to, to paralyze us against that. That fear becomes bad when when we don't even apply for jobs for fear that we might not get them. It becomes bad when we don't really want to draw near to God because He's so powerful and so holy and we don't want to come close. We don't want to allow ourselves to be vulnerable to Him. We don't want to love Him. We can have this same kind of fear in loving others. Yeah, this kind of fear is not the good kind of fear. 
But I mentioned there were four birds. There were three doves, and there was a hawk. And there are actually three other motivators that would identify more with the doves that I think God wants for our lives, that ought to push us along. These four prods, these four things that spur us in one direction or another, can spur us to action or can spur us to inaction. And like those four birds, three of them are gentle, and one of them is brutal. Three of them just kind of nudge us along nicely. One of them seems to scatter us. Three are as advanced as we are as human beings. And one, as I've already mentioned, is so primal that all animals experience it. So this morning I want to talk about how we will not let the hawk of fear dominate our lives. We've been learning as we've been studying the book of Nehemiah that, that God wants us to be brave. And as we continue in this series, the text that we're going to look at this morning will show us four ways in which this fear, this hawk called fear, being scared, will swoop in and try to, to grab us. And we're going to learn how we can stave it off, how we can keep it at bay, how we can not let it rule our lives. While at the same time this morning, I hope that we can learn, well, what are these other three doves or these other three motivators that God actually wants to have us pursue or have, us, have it be a part of our lives? So we've arrived at Nehemiah chapter 6. And if you haven't been with us, let me bring us up all to speed real quickly. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king of the Persian Empire, Artaxerxes. And uh, he left the, the Persian uh, capital, the, the capital of the Persian Empire, and came to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall around the inner parts of the city of Jerusalem. And while he was there, he came up against a lot of opposition, came up against a lot of barriers, a lot of distractions that were getting in the way. And, and yet, he persevered through them, and the people of, of Israel, the Israelites, they continued to press forward with the wall. Well, this morning, we get the privilege of seeing that the wall actually will be completed. And yet there's another obstacle, one more obstacle that has to be overcome as this wall is finished, and it is the obstacle of fear. We'll notice in Nehemiah chapter 6 that Frightened or frightened will show up four different times in just these 19 short verses. So let's get into it. First of all, fear swoops into us. The first way that it swoops into us is the fear of losing control. We love to be in control. And when we feel like we're losing control, boy, that fear can just well up inside of us. So if you have your Bibles handy, you can go to Nehemiah chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Otherwise, you'll see that I'll have it up here on the screen. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1 says this. Now, when it was reported to Sanballat, now Sanballat was the governor of Samaria, and Tobiah, he was the leader of the Ammonites, to Geshem the Arab and to the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and that no breach remained in it, although at that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. Then Sanballat and Geshem sent a message to me saying, Come, let us meet together at uh, Chepharim in the plain of Ono. But they were planning to harm me. Now, 
let me just point out where the plain of Ono is. Here's a map for you of the area. And if we zoom in on the map, you'll see that just about 25 miles to the northwest of Jerusalem is the plain of Ono, pretty far away from the protection of Jerusalem there. And Nehemiah knew that they wanted to harm him, and so uh, he's not going to go. Notice verse 3 says, So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave leave it and come down to you? They sent messages to me four times in this manner, and I answered them in the same way. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me in the same manner a fifth time with an open letter in his hand. Now there's a shift here that has taken place. He sent four letters saying, come on, come on, come on, we got to talk. But there's a shift. And what's critical about this shift is now he sends what's called an open letter. Now, when one dignitary would write a letter to another dignitary, they would always have a closed letter. They would seal it with a wax seal, and that seal was not to be broken until that, that other dignitary read it. But now, Sanballat sends an open letter, which means, here, servant, take this letter. If you want to read it, feel free to read it. Matter of fact, if you want to share it with everybody, feel free to share it with everybody. It was like Sanballat wanted to get the word out, wanted to get the rumors out, wanted to get the lies out, and so that people would, would start to doubt who Nehemiah was and what he's all all about. And this is what the letter said. Look at verse 6. And it was written, it is reported among the nations that Gashmu, that's another name for Geshem, the guy that's already mentioned above, uh, says that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore, you're rebuilding the wall and you are to be their king according to these reports. You have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. A king is in Judah. And now it will be reported to the king. That would be the king of the Persian Empire. You're not allowed to be a king. There's only one king, and that would be Artaxerxes, according to these reports. So he's saying, listen, you're in big trouble. Then he says, so come now. Let us take counsel together. So the people reading it were thinking, boy, Sambalit's the the level-headed guy. Sambalit's the guy that seems to have it all together. And this Nehemiah, what is he up to? What is he thinking and, and Sambal is just trying to communicate to everybody that's going to read this open letter, I'm just here to help Nehemiah. He, he's kind of out of his mind. Now, picture yourself being Nehemiah. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. An open letter, people are reading this letter? These lies about me? This is not right. I mean, what happens if, if you know, if, if this gets out? I mean, the, the rebuilding of the wall, I can just see that it's just going to stop. I, I can see that all of our hard work will be in vain. I, I can see that what I'm trying to establish here for the Jewish people is just not going to be to come to be. This is, we're going to be ruined here. When I uh, was a kid, I used to spend a lot of time outside. And I remember once my brother Todd and my sister Janet and I went back by the Root River. That would be in Franklin, Wisconsin. And we're back by the Root River and we're camping out at night. So we have a nice little fire and then it's getting kind of late. So we lay out our sleeping bags, our sleeping pads and everything. And we just lay out under the stars. Beautiful night, right? Well, halfway through the night, we are awakened by a thunderclap. Boom! This big, loud thunder hit us, you know? And we wake up, and my brother's like, we got to get going. The rain is coming. And so we quickly pack up our, our sleeping bags and our, you know, our pads and everything, and we throw them in our little backpacks, and we start heading home. By the time we got it packed up, it's raining, right? And we, Now, to get home, you got to realize you got to go through a long field, a big, huge field. I mean, a long field. Then it's up over a hill, then another field, then the road, then you're home, okay? So we are going through this long field. 
and that rain is coming down, and we are out in the open, and as we're out in the open, the lightning and the thunder at the exact same time. Boom! You ever, you ever experienced that? I mean, it was like the lightning was chasing us, it felt like. So my brother, in his brilliance, says, lightning can't strike under three feet, so run, crouch down. So we're literally, you know, running through the field like this. <laughs> Going as fast as we can. And boom, it does it again. And boom, it does it again. And we got over the hill. We got through the other field, across the road, and into the house safely. But I'm telling you, we were petrified. Like we are going to get hit by lightning. The fear of losing control, I think, does that for us. It smacks us like a thunderclap sometimes. And, it's, and it can feel like it's relentless. Like, man, when will this stop? For example, as parents, you might be thinking, when did I lose control of my teenager, you know? He's just, he's just not the little kid he used to. How did he grow up so fast? And, and one event after another just seems to hit us time and again. Or my job, you know, my job is... It just seems to be overwhelming. It's just like it's taking so much of my energy, so much of my time. How did I lose control of how I'm supposed to work or balance life? Or my discipline, you know? It's like it's relentless. I just am always have a craving and I, I just can't stop eating. I know I'm not supposed to eat this junk food, but I love junk food, you know? Or I, 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 I like Kathy was saying, smoking cigarettes. Like I just, I, 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 I'm not addicted, but I am addicted, you know? Or or heavier yet, like alcohol or, or drugs or something like, okay, I'm, I've lost control. We can lose control of our families. You know, we used to be so close, and now it just feels like we're not close anymore. How come, how come I can't seem to control this at all? Losing control of our lives. It's like my life is spinning out of control, and I'm not sure how to handle it. Over and over again, it's like we feel like we're one instant away from just being struck by losing control. How do we fend it off? How, what do we do to fend this off? We do what Nehemiah did. Fend off fear, this fear of losing control, by discerning truth from lies. Just stop a minute and try to figure out, okay, what's the truth and what's a lie? Notice verse 8. Then I sent a message to him saying, such things as you are saying have not been done, but you are inventing them in your own mind. For all of them were trying to frighten us. There's the first time frightened shows up. Thinking they will become discouraged with the work and, will not, and it will not be done. I see what you're doing, Sambalit. I see what you're doing, Geshem and Tobiah. You know, it's so important that we really work hard at figuring out, well, what's real and what's not real in this situation? What are we conjuring up in our minds and what is actual reality? If I want to fend off the hawk of fear of losing control, then we must, you and I, we must work hard at discerning truth from lies. Like, what's the truth, honestly, about our teenager, right? And what's more something that's just a fear in me about, generally speaking, teenagers? Uh, just to be clear, you know? What's the truth about my job? Why am I putting in so many hours? Why does it feel like it's spinning out of control? And, and what's a lie that I'm believing? What's, what's the truth about this addiction? It's an addiction. What, what's the truth about it? And 
what am I believing that's a lie, like that I can get out of it myself? I mean, what, what is it that's, that's out of control in our lives? And, and just discern what is the truth and what isn't. And the way we do that is we ask for help. Ask for people to help us. Ask for people to hold up a mirror to us. To speak into our lives. Seek wisdom. And don't jump to conclusions too quickly. And then we need to be motivated not by the fear of losing control, but what should motivate our lives is by the dove of faith. The dove of faith. Look at Nehemiah again in verse, or in verse 9. Again, they were frightening us. They want us to become discouraged from the work to be done. But now look at the end of verse 9. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Okay, life might be out of control, God, but I, I'm just going to trust in you. You be the one to strengthen my hands. You be the one that I stand on, the rock in which I stand. I'm putting my faith in you. In Psalm 121, it's one of my favorite psalms. Um, as I was going through this, I'm like, oh, i got to reread that psalm. It's such a good psalm. Psalm 121. We don't know who wrote it, but the psalmist clearly was going on a journey. And uh, back then, if you were going on a journey, there were a lot of fears ahead. Like, you could really get hurt if you were going on a journey. And so he just has this wonderful psalm to the Lord. It says, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. This is a, this is a prayer of, of faith. This is a statement of faith. On this life that we're on, this journey that we're on, where do we turn? Well, God in His Word says we've, we should be motivated by faith in Him. We should not turn to fear and let fear govern our lives, but we should let our faith in Him govern our lives. When life feels maybe like it's getting out of control, we can trust that God is always in control. Well, the second way in which fear swoops in is the fear of being harmed. This is so basic. You know, like, we don't want to get hurt, so we fear getting hurt. Look at verse 10. When I entered the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mahatabel, who was confined at home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. And they're coming to kill you at night. When you least expect it, you will be harmed. But I said, should a man like me flee? And could one such as I go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that surely God had not sent him, but he uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He was hired for this reason, that I might become frightened, there it is again, and act accordingly and sin. A primal motivator that can actually push us in the direction of sinning, of going against God's will for our lives, is the fear of being harmed. It shows up often. Like for instance, you know, well, I, I have to lie because if I tell the truth, my husband or my wife or my mom or my dad, they're going to get mad at me. And that will not be good. I will be harmed because of it. Or you know what, I can't, I can't tell the authorities. Because do you know what the consequences will be if I tell them? No, no, no. The pain will be great and I'll have to pay for it. Or, you know, I just know that when I least expect it, 
Somebody is going to take advantage of me. Somebody is going to scam me. Maybe a doctor, maybe a salesperson, whatever. But I can tell that people are out there and they are wanting to do me harm. So how do we fend off this fear of being harmed by some, in some way? We fend off this fear by keeping God's Word in our hearts. We fend off this fear by keeping God's Word in our hearts. Let's jump back to verse 11. It's interesting what Nehemiah says here. Verse 11, but I said, should a man like me flee? And could one such as I go into the temple to save his life? Why would he not want to go into the temple? Because Nehemiah knew God's Word. And God's Word said the only ones that go into the temple are the priests. And... If you were with us in week one, you may have heard that Nehemiah, as the cupbearer to the king, was probably a eunuch. And the Bible is very clear that common people are not allowed in the temple. And if anyone has any defect, they're not allowed in the temple. That's Leviticus 21 or Numbers chapter 3. I think Numbers chapter 18 also has it there. And Nehemiah knew, knew the word of God. And his response was, I will not go in. Yeah. He understood. And then verse 12, Then I perceived, because it didn't align with God's Word, that surely God had not sent him, but he uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. Hiding God's Word in our hearts. Being people who are students of the Word. I, think for, I know that for some of you, you were raised and taught that Whatever God's Word said, you can't understand it, that you have to go through the clergy for them to tell you what it's all about. Now, God does give clergy to help us, but it's not the only avenue. You can actually go to God's Word yourself. I know others of you have maybe learned along the way, well, you know, everybody has their own interpretation of the Bible. You have your interpretation. I have my interpretation. And, you know, we're all just fine with it. Both of those views, by the way, are flat out wrong. The Bible was written in the common language of the people. The Old Testament in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek. It was the common language of the day, the common language of the people, so that the common person could read it and understand it. And to think that God wanted so many, whatever you want to interpret the Bible to say, just let it say whatever you think it, you want it to say, is, is ludicrous. I mean, it's kind of like me standing up here and saying, I'm giving you this sermon, and you can just interpret it however you want. You can just kind of view it however you want. You would say, that's foolish. No, you know that I have one meaning in mind when I'm talking to you, and you're listening, and you're, you're picking up on that meaning. It's the same way with God and His Word. He has one meaning in mind, and if we just use the common rules of language, we can actually understand that one meaning. We can be students of the Word. We have got to hide God's Word in our hearts so that when we're tempted to fear, we can go in our minds and in our hearts to say, yep, but God's Word says, and then the Bible is God's love letter to us, and therefore we must be motivated not by the fear of, of being harmed, but we must be motivated by the dove of love. I mean, Nehemiah said, listen, God's Word says I'm not to go in the temple. So even though it might feel right that, yeah, it sounds like a safe place to go. Yeah, and if they're here to harm me, that's really probably the right thing to do. But God's Word says don't do it. 
yeah, it might seem right at the moment, but what does God's word guide me in? And, and we, we say, well, we're going to obey God's word even if it doesn't feel like the most immediate help, you know, or the most immediate right thing. We're going to say, well, I'm going with what God says and we'll let him worry about the results. That's what, that's what Nehemiah was saying. And he wasn't doing it out of duty. He wasn't doing it out of fear. Is scared. He was doing it out of love. God gives us guidance in his word because he loves us and he wants our very best. And we respond by loving him, by saying, well, God, then I will obey what your word has to say. That's what Jesus said in John 14, verses 21 and 23. Well, the third way a hawk, the hawk of fear swoops in is the fear of being discredited. Verse 13 Again, he was hired for this reason that I might become frightened and act accordingly and sin so that they might have an evil report in order that they could reproach me. That they might have an evil report so that they could discredit me. They wanted to ruin my reputation. Have you ever felt like someone was out, you know, spreading lies about you? <laughs> or maybe at best they're saying half-truths. They're not really given the whole story. Honestly, I bet all of us could probably take a moment and think, yep, I, I've been there. I've, I've had that. So what happens when that happens? What happens is we start feeling like, uh-oh, people are going to have a tainted view of me. People are going to have a bad view of me. We fear our reputation is on the line. And the way that we fend that off is by relying on the source of truth. Who's the source of truth? God. Jesus, right. doesn't matter what other people think of us. It matters what God thinks of us, right? I mean, ultimately, what God thinks of us. Look at, again, verse 14. Nehemiah now prays. He says, Remember, oh my God, my God, you are the God that knows me better than anybody knows me. Search me. See if there's any offensive way and reveal it to me. People can spread lies about us. They might try to ruin our reputation. But at the end of the day, all that really matters is what God sees of us, isn't it? And then we must be motivated by the dove of hope. Look at verse 14 again. Remember, O oh my God, Tobiah and Sambalat, according to these works of theirs, and also Nodiah the prophetess and the rest of the prophets who were trying to frighten me. There's the third time the word frighten shows up. My God, I just give to you the enemies that I just hope that that you're going to deal with them the best that you know how. And I'm trusting in your sovereignty over my life. I'm trusting that, that, that my purpose and my eternity is really wrapped up in you. May I be found faithful to you, O God. No matter what spreads out there about me that's not right, no matter what people think of me, my hope is in you, Lord. My hope is in you. And my life, I want it to be unexplainable apart from you. Look at verse 15. So the wall was completed on the 25th of the month of Elul. By the way, one commentary said that's September 20th, which happens to be my daughter's birthday, so uh, easy for me to remember. In 52 days, pretty fast, when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. That's where our hope lies, isn't it? 
that our lives would be unexplainable apart from the help of our God. People can try to ruin us, ruin our reputation, try to discredit us, but our lives, may they be unexplainable apart from God, that God is the one who sets our path. God is the one who who directs our steps. God is the one who will accomplish His will in our lives. That's the hope that ought to motivate us in our lives. Well, finally, the fourth way that fear swoops in is a close cousin of the fear of being discredited. It's the fear of losing influence. The fear of losing influence. Like, man, I I mean, I just don't have the, the influence that I used to have. Look at verse 17. Now the wall is completed and it says, Also in those days many letters went from the nobles to Judah to Tobiah, uh, of Judah to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. So the people of Judah, the, the Jews, were interacting, business interactions with Tobias, or with Tobiah. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, And his son, Jehohanan, had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Moreover, they were speaking about his good deeds in, the presence, in, in my presence and reported my words to him, which weren't actually about his good deeds. No doubt he was highlighting the enemy that Tobiah was. And then Tobiah sent letters, here's the fourth time, to frighten me, to cause fear in me. Tobiah sent letters to Nehemiah's countrymen to basically say, trust me and don't trust Nehemiah. Side with me and don't side with him. I uh, loved to go hunting when I was in high school. I had a 20-gauge single-shot shotgun. And my friend Todd Bricko and I would just go hunting for whatever we could find, actually. Uh, I hate to admit that, but we were just out, you know, we wanted to shoot. Well, whatever, I'm getting, I was just having fun, right? I was just having fun. So I'm in this tall grass. It's like up to my thighs, right? And I'm walking through the grass, and I see the grass ahead of me kind of moving and I'm like oh there's a there's an animal there you know so I'm sneaking up on it you know and I come right over it because the grass is so tall I had to like come right over it and all of a sudden it's like right there and as soon as it was right there it was too late it was a skunk and he had turned his backside toward me and I went from the hip you know boom but it was too late Ah, you know, oh, <laughs> you know, and I'm running away like, oh no, oh no, and Todd, you know, dude, man, oh, you got skunk on you, man, oh, stay away, you know. I get home, of course, before I got home, my smell had reached home before me, and my mom is outside, what happened, man, you got skunk on you, and she goes right down in the basement grabs the canned tomato juice that we had canned and fills the, the tub up about an inch of tomato juice. And she says, now you get in that bathtub <laughs> and you, you try to wash that skunk off of you, you know? And I took a tomato juice bath, my one and only of my life. Never want to do it again. Do you know, that's what Tobiah's letter was all about. So that others would look at Nehemiah and go, oh, Nehemiah, you got skunk on you, you know? Oh, man, we don't want to get close to you. We can feel like people try to do that to us, you know? We have scenarios where people, for whatever reason, they're like trying to 
cause us to lose our influence for whatever reason. Or we can, we can actually flirt with skunks, you know? Like, boy, maybe I'm just going to get a little bit closer and a little bit closer to this thing that if it actually lands on me, if it actually becomes a, you know, gets on me, I'm going to smell like skunk. Temptations, you know, that kind of draw us in. Then it ends up where people don't want to be near us and we lose our influence. So how do we fend off this fear of losing influence? We do it by pursuing the truth. When all was said and done, Nehemiah saw Tobiah still as his enemy. When we fear that we're going to lose our influence, become irrelevant, when we're one step away from getting skunk on us for one reason or another, pursue the truth. I mean, you know, when situations are unfolding and we're feeling marginalized, well, what's, what, are they, what are they saying about me? And is it actually true or not? Or if we feel like, man, we've kind of been sprayed because we've been misrepresented by somebody else. Well, like Nehemiah, you know, what's true and what's not true? Keep pursuing the truth. We can seek the truth and admit, you know, I, I actually walked right up to that skunk. He was drawing me in and I walked right up and he got me. I mean, I, I've, I have sinned. What's the truth? What's not the truth? Don't be motivated by fear, but finally be motivated by the doves of faith, hope, and love. That's what God wants to have motivate our lives. Put our faith in God. Hope in His plans for our lives and, and hope that He will work things out for His glory and love Him. And don't stop loving people no matter how they treat us. I mean, really, that's what life is all about, isn't it? These three doves must govern our lives. These three doves must motivate us to be what we are and to do what we do. And the weapon that we use to fight against the hawk called fear is the truth. Over and over and over again, you heard me say it. We, fought, we, we seek after the author of truth, the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We passionately pursue the truth of God's Word. We keep pursuing that which is true. And when we do, we'll find that faith, hope, and love are what are governing our lives. And His perfect love, God's perfect love for us, according to the truth, will cast out fear.